welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 114. Let's get on with the best dynasty show on the planet. There is no doubt at this point. There is no doubt. You know, I never used to say that, but I think we're getting there, man. We're having a lot of fun, and uh, I've got a great guest this week, and uh, he might turn the tables on me, but I had something I was thinking about. I saw, um, you know, my my buddy, uh, the bean counter, had uh, quote tweeted this guy who was like, you know, said something about analytics, and uh, it, I, it, it reminded me of a rant I've been wanting to do for a while, so I'm going to do it. It's It's going to take a second, but it's really just this analytics bullshit. Every every time that I see someone arguing about this analytics, you know, I hear it on, you know, whether it's Bill Simmons or the fucking, you know, the 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 national broadcast, they're like, the analytics is telling them to do this or that. You know what analytics is? This is analytics. Taking information, trying to figure out what the information says, and then making decisions on it. You know who does that? Every goddamn person in the world. Everybody in the world takes a bit of information and then tries to make a good decision. Even non-analytical coaches use analytics. You know what analytics are? Information. Information is third and two. And my running back is 240 pounds. I'm going to go for it. That's the, just, He's just using minimal analytics. He's using heavy back, short yardage. Go for it. You know, that's it. Whereas some other nerd is like, well, third and two, the success rate on third and two is 72%. And yeah. Okay, great. Well, you know what? That just makes them using different information. It doesn't make one guy non-analytical. They're all fucking analytical. It's what information do you have? What information do you value? That's it. So I'm so fucking sick and tired of hearing that analytics is bullshit. They should just go. What do you go with? What? They close their eyes and coach. Call a pass. This is ridiculous. I'm so fed up with it. Every bit of information is analytics. God dang it. All right, I'm all fired up. I'm going to bring my uh, I'm going to bring my guest out. But it's true, man. Maybe he'll have something to say. Maybe he's going to tell me to settle down, take a Xanax and fucking go to sleep. I don't really know. But I do have someone that I have, you know, Hey, you know, small name. He's only got about a thousand followers. I think he's fantastic. He is working his ass off. He is doing the real fucking grind out there. And I wanted to have him on the show because I think he's the real deal. He's a great guy, super connective on social media. He's working for so many different, uh, you know, websites and fantasy football outlets, just trying to put himself out there. And you know what I find every at every corner is everybody likes the dude. And so that's the guy I've got on the show today. Today, I welcome you to Nick Botiford. Nick, come on out and tell the people what's up. I'm super excited to be here. Mr. Yeah. Jax Falcone, thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, what do you think about my analytics rant? Uh, bullshit or what? Or am I onto it? I mean, it's just fucking nuts. These people are like, you know, analytics is just, you know, you don't need them in football. It's like... Yeah, the wind, the, the the stadium, whether you're playing on grass or turf, whether your quarterback's arm hurts, whether the fucking offensive line is, you know, every bit of the information is the analytics. Am, am I crazy? No, you're right. I, I always tend to think of this 
as all data is good data and it's just up to the individual interpreting it to decide yeah. you know what they want to do with it and as you said that can be numerical that can be uh, i guess uh base numerical right. however you want yeah. to phrase 240 pound running back right um the big one seems to be the trust the defense or go for it debate yeah. and I-, I saw josh norris he was tweeting about this i think it was monday night and it, you know in some ways going for it if you fail i think you're trusting your defense a little bit more than punting <laughs> Like you're risking it all anyway. Right. I, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm all about it. Uh, n- the number side of things is that that was my entry point to the sport. It's taught me a ton. You know, I, I, uh, actually had a, a surgery from the uh, Seahawks lead physician when I was a teenager and he said, he asked me, do you play football? And I said, no, he goes, don't your knees are going to break. <laughs> and so that's, that's well, how I approached this game since I was, man, probably 13 years old. <laughs> you know, I played football for as uh, for my entire life every single year until my knees broke so that's actually fucking facts yeah yeah that's true <laughs> i was ahead of the curve yeah that's right <laughs> yeah just keep your knees of course i'm six four and clumsy so maybe it was my fault on the knee problem but i also played hoops and i hurt my knee real bad playing hoops but hey what are you gonna do man it's okay you know what you know god gives you two knees but only one chance to play fucking football <laughs> Good for you. That's a new bumper sticker right there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's going on the that's going on the back of the uh, the old station wagon there tomorrow. I'm gonna get a bumper sticker just like that. I, your call, man. I don't put stuff. I don't put stuff on my car. It's I it, I got a, a 2002. I got to preserve the value as much as I can. Okay. So yeah. So you don't want any like you know glue residue when you go to trade that bad boy in. That's right. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, uh, football, let's get back to football. I mean, um, I'm pretty excited about, I mean, you know, I'm in 16 dynasty leagues. I'm going to make the playoffs in 10 for sure. Two more, I think, and four for sure not. So I'm probably 12 or 11 or 12 out of 16. That's all you want is a chance in most of your leagues in the playoffs to, to, to hopefully, you know, win two or three games in a row and win, win it all. I mean, that's really the goal. It's the goal in any fantasy football league. I've said it a million times, a million years in a row. You know, how many times have you heard the story? Man, I was the best team all regular season, lost in the first round, bro. It's like, yeah, it happens. And sometimes you're not the best team, but, you know, you get hot. Um, You know, you ride a a Deion Lewis to a championship or some shit, you know, and it doesn't really matter. I mean, just get in there and hopefully you win one and, and go from there. So especially in Dynasty, I think a lot of people make a little bit too much of you know, tanking for a pick, uh, you know, where was Jalen Waddle selected? Where was, you know, right. I mean, it's like, you're going to get a good player if you, if you draft, right. Javante went 10th repeatedly, you know? Uh, so I don't know. Javante's now broken with his knees, by the way, which is a full circle, but um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, just go for it, get your ass in the playoffs and see if you can see if you can get lucky. So on that note, I reached out to you a few weeks ago with basically with a, a dynasty roster theory question. And I, I, what I've experienced and I'm a fairly new dynasty player. Um, I thought I knew what's what when I started this game and I very quickly learned that that, that was not the case this season. I, I thought that I had built a, a, a big time juggernaut and yeah. I suddenly discovered that I was much more so contending for like, you know, final spot entry into the playoffs. And so what I chose to do was just totally demolish everything. I didn't, I didn't want to go 
halfway. And so at what point in the year do you start to look at your roster and go, all right, am I all in here? Am I, do I need to rebuild? Do you, do you try to thread the needle and, you know, keep a strong roster while thinking toward the future? How do you like, is it week eight? Do you reassess? What's your process? You know, what's, what's interesting is that, you know, I have done a lot of trial and error. I think, you know, my first inclination, I think was the best inclination. And I'll kind of circle back to that when I first started playing, but what I have done over the course of time and playing in multiple leagues, I've tried multiple, you know, uh, strategies and, because you hear people say certain things, you're like, well, maybe, you know, I mean, I'm an open-minded person. I'm like, well, maybe that's the way to go. And I will say full disclaimer with the asterisk in front of this statement, do whatever the fuck you want people. All right. Don't listen to me. Don't do what I say at all. Uh, This is just some asshole talking out of his mom's basement. But what I am going to say is I've heard a lot of people say, you got to push all in when you got a chance and da, da, da. I kind of disagree. I've done this an, a couple of times and I mean, I, I think there's a way to do it. Um, for instance, I've pushed all in mid season uh, last year, 2021 for Derek Henry and uh, Christian McCaffrey. That did not work out <laughs> um, because both of those players got hurt and devalued and I lost all my first round picks in the future. And then I didn't have a championship and you know, and, and, and certainly when I did the deal, um, I saw that the league was not like <laughs> donkey. They were like, Oh fuck. You know what I mean? So I know that in, in terms of the, 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 what, what people think was a good move, it was a good move, but in hindsight, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be results oriented and that those guys got hurt. Therefore is a bad decision. What I'm saying is that by putting all of your assets into one basket, you put a lot of risk in that basket. And therefore, if things, if one player pops a knee, you're fucked. And so I don't want to be in those situations. So in this, in a, in a more recent league that I'm, I'm now, you know, in the playoffs, I'm the number one seed. I pushed a couple of picks for, I want to say it was like T Higgins and, um, AJ Brown, but I feel like the difference there is, is that those are longer term, more sustainable assets that will, be very, very unlikely to lose a tremendous amount of value, also less likely to get injured, knock on all the wood. But, um, you know, the wide receiver position tends to be a bit more, you know, um, you, you know, uh, free from injury, obviously because of the rules too. I mean, let's face it, if the rules were in the 70s, these receivers would probably be dead uh, because the way they throw the football, all of a sudden they just implemented 1972 rules most of these players would actually die on the field, but they do protect them. You know, you can't, you can't headhunt. There's a lot of protections, you know, even the quote unquote defenseless receiver, right? Protected. So I feel a little bit better by investing, you know, future assets because I did pay first round capital to get these two players. I felt a little bit better. Now, are they as much of a league winner? Maybe not. Right. You know, in other words, that, that, Type A, you know, lead back, the number one back, the Eckler, McCaffrey, um, you know, Josh Jacobs, sorry, um, type of player is more likely to, you know, carry you to a championship. I will agree. 
but I rather sort of almost split the difference, Nick. And what I'm saying is I always want to keep all options open. And in making that trade for T Higgins and AJ Brown, I kind of felt like, or at least more like, I feel like those types of players will, I can always sell and recoup those draft, that draft capital. Whereas, you know, Derek Henry, you know, these types of backs, sometimes you're like, shit, man, you know, they, they can, they can be here today and gone tomorrow. I, it's a long winded way of saying, I don't ever want to put everything all in and, and even rebuilding rebuilding is a little bit different and we'll get there in a moment, but that's the way I feel about going all in. So, all right. You, you touched on something that I, I've kind of been dying to ask you about here. And this is the, the positional value idea yeah. where I, so I, I have chosen to try to invest heavily in wide receivers. They, they have long careers. They, as you said, tend to get injured less. Now there are some data points that get a little strange on that front. Like, you yes. know, running back mileage has, has been proven to kind of not be a thing in terms of the transition from college to pros, but with positional value in mind, we have this upcoming rookie draft. Bijan Robinson sent you a tweet earlier today that I think he's got like the highest PFF rushing grade of all time. Yet he plays this position that to, to, in in my mind is is scary yeah and given the way that that dynasty leagues tend to be structured super flex formats i kind of get the sense that this this position should be significantly devalued and you know you you add the the jordan masons the zonovan knights etc and yes. try to manufacture production there so my question to you is should one invest in the new generational running back prospect with the 1.01 in rookie drafts because i'm having a real i'm having a, a an existentially difficult time trying to nail this down because i'm in position for this this 101 pick and i'm not here to talk about my team but it's you know yeah just no experience yes i mean it's a good question and and ultimately you know i would say it this way if you if you're really a back away yeah you probably should be taking Bijan. i mean uh, if you're not, maybe you should be trading the pick. I mean, that's sort of the thing. But but to answer the question, it's like, yes, you're right. The answer is that the running back position has gone under uh, transformation from even the early 2000s, man. I mean, you know, we the years of, you know, um, just all the running backs being sort of workhorses. And then there'd be a like a literal spell back. You know, guys got everything. They got all of it. You know, and that doesn't happen anymore. It, there's a lot of two back backfields and a lot of split time and unfortunately a lot of injuries. And, you know, there's a lot of attrition at that position. Um, it, so you're right. And, and this has changed over the last two or three years because, you know, even back to Todd Gurley, Zeke Elliott, those years. Right. And we had the sort of weird Bishop Sankey drafts where we had no running back talent created a dearth of talent. And then we saw the, 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 the Jonathan Taylor class coming. And, and of course that was a great class, but you know, Dobbins hurt acres, Jesus, you know, CEH yuck, right. There's been even some attrition there, you know, Gibson replaced by Brian Robinson. There's a lot of, you know, things where you go, Deandre Swift, fuck, you know, so right. Whereas when you look at these wide receivers, they tend to just sort of earn targets for the rest of their career. So you're saying it right in that the running backs are better more and more so now 
to be piecemeal than they are to be heavily invested in. And if you have a top running back, you're probably better selling them than buying them. That's the that's probably the big lesson when I talk about what I did for T. Higgins and A.J. Brown versus what I did for Derrick Henry and CMC last year. And yeah, that's that's the sort of the learning is in what we're really trying to do in Dynasty is is two things that simultaneously, you know, and you'll hear a lot of people talk about one or the other, but not as not always both. Win the fucking championship and gain value, right? You know, so there's a lot of guys who go, look at this roster, dude. I got 20 first round picks. I got fucking, you know what I mean? They're like roster bait. And they'll just sort of show you how good the roster is. And you're like, well, what's your record? Uh, four and seven. But next year, bro, it's going to be so good. You know, and it's that that they're only concerned about this quote unquote value. Right. And then there's these other guys like, yeah, I just so I just bought fucking Dalvin Cook for three first round picks. I'm going to win this year. You know, it's like, well, you know you got to be able to play both of those things at the same time. And that's why understanding how to use your value to win is very important as opposed to just saying, I only want to win or I only want to get value. How do I use my value so that it increases in value and I win? Holy shit, that's the holy grail of dynasty dominance. Is so th- this 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 um this idea of like of asset accumulation it that's yeah. what I hear is the end goal tends to be acquire picks and then if you can't like I think I've heard Scott Connor talk a lot about how the, the value of acquiring more picks and then having someone sprinkle a veteran running back or something <laughs> just something a little yeah. extra something on top like right before yeah. the deal gets done okay but in this event with Bijan. Yeah. Is it, is it straight? You probably don't have an answer for this. Cause I think that this is just it, kind of all over the place. Ask it is, anyway. It, People is, yeah. so, is someone crazy for drafting Bijan with the intent of selling him? Cause I don't think his value will ever be as high as it is on draft day. After that. I mean, we already yeah. have the mystery box. We already have the, he could be a 2000 yard rusher. He could lead the league in whatever. After that point, when he, when he puts his cleats on the field and suddenly we're going, ah, yeah, but what about his ACLs? Yeah. Right. Like will his value ever be higher than before he takes the field? Yeah. Maybe not. Right. Because like, like here's the, the, the corollary it's Saquon Barkley versus Brees Hall. Right. So when Saquon Barkley came out before he was ever drafted, he was this like, dude, I'll pay you anything for Saquon Barkley. I'll do fucking anything, whatever you need. Right. Whereas Brees Hall was like, nah, he's a, eh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's the one one. He might be a more of a mid round first in a in a stronger draft. So I'm not so sure. Right. That's the narrative. So therefore, you're selling a narrative because at the end of the day, it turned out that Brees and Barkley were at least very similar in terms of production. Obviously, Brees also popped the fucking ACL. Thank you very much. As they both did. Oh, my God. You know. So didn't Dalvin, so didn't Dobbins. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So yes, but you're right that if you can sell the Bijan Robinson pick for a treasure trove of assets, yeah, you should do it. Why do people not do that? Well, because they're like, oh fuck, I want Bijan Robinson. That's why. (laughs) That's why. Just so you know, that's why. Two reasons. Number one, I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to fucking sell him and, and then he's the best player of all time. And I'm like, 
dude, I had a chance, but I fucking just, I sold him for Terry McLaurin in a second, you know, <laughs> obviously that's not the trade, but you know, it's like, Oh fuck. Um, but yeah, you should, you should absolutely do that. You know, you should absolutely do that. I go back to the Saquon Barkley draft. I will tell you right now, my 1.02, lock it in, no fucking doubt about it. And that draft was Darius Geis. No doubt. No, listen to me. No doubt about it. I wanted Darius Geis everywhere. And I was only in a couple of uh, Dynasty leagues at the time because I was just getting started, you know, in in Dynasty. And, um, And so Darius Geis, I have the 1.02. I've got my guy. Well, as it turned out, I sold that pick and I had the 106 in a loaded running back draft. I sold those two picks and it it was really difficult to do. I think I sold it for like three future firsts, right? So I sold the 102 and the 106 for like three future firsts, which I was targeting the future classes that, you know, the JT class, whatever. And uh, like a second round pick that year. So I was like, I'm only moving back a little. But the value was too good and I sold it. But I was like, when I sold it, I said to the person who bought it, I said, congratulations, man. You fucking won a champion. You know, you're going to win a championship. This is fucking congrats. And you know what? He bought, he he ended up drafting, and, and it, it wasn't a bad pick at the time, Darius Geis and Royce Freeman. Oh. You know, <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? So... Yes, you're, you know, nobody would have thought that those two guys would have been total busts at the time. I will tell you that. You know, so in hindsight, you look back and go, dude, Royce Freeman, he wasn't even, okay, fine. Darius Geis, total off the field. You know, everybody's got this revisionist history like they know. But in the moment, he was the 1.02. So that's what the fuck he was. And so a lot of times selling those players. Now, the flip side of that is sometimes you're like selling and you sell on Justin Jefferson. You know, so you got to, you know, you got to play it both ways. But yeah, the running backs is an issue because you have to really make sure that you're ready to compete if you want to have high high end running backs. So the guy who's pushing the button at 101 for Bijan, you know, I I don't know. Yeah, unless you're a running back away, I'd, I'd much rather extract the value of what Bijan is worth right now. You're 100% right. And I understand, I understand the feeling you're describing there where it's the, the wait a second, but I want Bijan. Like, you know, I've had that yeah. with Pacheco, like <laughs> drafted him in the fourth round. And I'm like, I'm such a badass. And what's interesting is with this running back position, you know, that's, that's a player who landed in the right spot. And I, and you mentioned the other day on your show. Yeah. You should probably sell, like if you can get a first or something, you need to sell yeah. Pacheco right now. Um, there's something I want to get to, but with this in mind, yeah, Damian Pierce. Yep. Does it, I don't want to sell him, but I think he he's a must sell. He's a he's yeah. a fourth round running back. You know, like yeah. these guys, like Pacheco, he lands in the perfect position, doesn't even catch passes. Uh, Damian Pierce lands in a terrible position; he's outplaying it. But either way, they're just so situationally dependent. It's like, yes. when do you ever want to invest in this position at all? And and I'm I'm somebody who thought running backs were you know the greatest thing in the world when I was Pete Carroll's fan three years ago. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, man. It's like, uh, like you know, uh, you, you know, everybody's got that fear of selling, you know, sort of too low. Like you sell um, Pacheco right now for a late first, and then he's Jamal Charles next year. You know, <laughs> that's the fear, right? It's the fear of of dude, you sold Pacheco for a fucking. Blah. It's like you know, but um, but I think 
that fear is, becomes less and less realized after you've played for longer and longer. I'll give you an example. Um, in, I don't remember what year, it was like 19 actually, I think, uh, Jarek McKinnon signed with, signed with San Francisco. Pretty lucrative little contract. And it was the Shanahan thing. He was going to be the Christian McCaffrey. Like that's mm-hmm. what the, you know, I mean, obviously not the talent level, but dude, pass catcher, you know, 10, 12 carries, but five to 10 targets in a San Francisco offense. This is going to be unbelievable. McKinnon. And I, I was a McKinnon truther. And I had an offer of a late first for McKinnon. I declined. And then he popped his knee and, you know, he missed two years, whatever. But that was a bad move. I should have sold McKinnon as soon as the hotness was there. And only because I was newer to Dynasty did I not consider it strongly enough. Obviously, I considered it. You know, I looked at it and said, but I was like, nope, McKinnon's going to be a fucking stud this year. And, you know, maybe that would have been right if he didn't get hurt. Who knows? I don't fucking know. It's not even, that's not even the point. Whether I was right or wrong, it's the value proposition of selling a player at his, at a, at a, at a spike in value when, yes, you can imagine it going higher, but can you also imagine it going lower? It was lower, so it could fucking definitely get lower. So you might want to consider that part of it. And selling on the high, you know, is is generally a pretty good practice if you repeat it over and over and over and over again throughout your dynasty career. And, and that's really what it comes down to. So pivoting here a little bit to the less heralded guys, you're, you're talking about this idea of selling at the apex. When we have these running backs who you've been stashing, I mentioned Zonovan Knight, and I don't know yeah. anybody who was stashing Zonovan Knight, but let's say that in one league. Like, in 16, I think I had one or two. I was like, there it is, bitches. Look at the fucking <laughs> waiver wire. I got him. Yeah. And one, in one league, dude, in one league, I thought I had him. This is funny. I was like, oh, I've got him. I went to that league and I went to go post bitches look it up and it was sincere mccormick instead and i was like oh fuck i got my two late round dudes that are kind of irrelevant but might be something for somebody you know i i swear to god i thought i was like oh i can't wait because it was a league i really needed a running back too and uh went to go post i was like oh no i have sincere mccormick on my taxi squad not son of a night whoops yeah so i'm gonna have to look up sincere later on but um in, so so we have so Zonovan Knight. <laughs> you were like he, you did the you did the uh, Snoop Dogg who? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so he Zonovan he it looks like he's got he's locked in now. He's been uh, he's been a dual threat. He's got passing down work. Michael yeah. Carter is expected to return right now, so that passing down work might kind of trickle away. Yeah. Do you? We talk a lot about how we're supposed to sell when we have these guys and they, they hit their, their mini peaks. Like we know Brees is going to come back. We think we hope that Brees is going to come back yeah. next year and his value is going to be sapped. It's important to sell these guys for something. And I tend to think of it as like a third round pick. Like that's, that's what right. you sell these one-off running backs for. But this isn't a redraft situation. This is not, uh, you know, this league ends and then everybody forgets about how you suckered them for whatever you got to play with these people the next year and, and the year after that, and probably the year after that, do you, how, how heavily do you weigh the consequences of your actions when you predictably sell high on a guy who you're pretty sure your league mate is actually going to be losing out 
with this type of a deal. Cause I've experienced this where I, I sell a running back, a spot start running back or two of them. And I'm like, all right, I, you know, I feel good cause I'm getting these future picks. And then I'm like, wait a second, but I like him. I, I got feel bad doing this to, to my league mate, but maybe that's my arrogance and thinking that I'm, I'm just, Hey, I'm just going to be right. How, do you, do you factor this in like thoughtfulness for your, your league mates? Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely not. And I'll tell you because you could be wrong. So don't do that. Because here's the thing, like you could be selling, you know, thinking you're, you just don't know. And so you make the best deals that you think you can make and you move on. And the way that you treat your league mates is with respect, you know? Um, And, you know, I, I am a bit of a trash talker. I am a, the, uh, uh, VP of shit talking, I think, or whatever, sarcasm, whatever I am at the undropples. But I, yeah, I like to shit talk. I like to have fun. And, but also, you know, if I get into a DM with a guy, I'm going to show respect, you know, and I'm going to be like, Hey man, you know, whatever. Like I respect each player, e- each manager, you know, as a, as a person, but as a competitor, you know, I definitely want to, I want to punish each and every one of them. Um, and if they're soft, then they will be like, I'm not trading with him. Okay, well, that then that's their problem, right? They put themselves on an island. That happens. I, I literally won one league four years in a row, and everybody in that league, uh, basically, it's kind of illegal. It's a little bit of collusion, but they basically say out loud in the chat, no trading with this motherfucker, you know? But you know what? That's respect. I won the league four years in a row. They can do whatever the fuck they want, you know? I, I mean... It's a, it's a little bit collusion, but it's also a little bit, yeah, you reap what you sow, right? Like I was a bit brash and I made some big moves and I ended up paying off and I won and they hate me. Well, that's fine, right? There's also leagues I'm not winning. My listener league, I'm getting fucking crushed, but I don't hate anybody in that league. Like whoever I made the CMC deal with or the Derrick Henry deal with or whatever, like that was where I did that. I don't, that good for them. Like it, that's a me problem if I have resentment towards them because they did a trade that worked out. That's bullshit and that's pussy ass shit. So for me, don't even think about it. Just make the best deals you can. Treat people with respect and move on. I like the question. I really did because I think there is something to that. Because the the grain of of truth in that is that if you're a complete ass face in your league then people will be like, fuck that dude. Like I know in some leagues, there's, there's a guy who put out a, 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 in one of my leagues, he put out a thing. He said like, whatever it was, it was like, um, I'll sell. I remember what it was now. He said, I'll sell Devonte Smith in a second for any first. So I immediately offered him my first for Devonte Smith in his second. He declined. I said, you're a fucking lying cunt. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like you put in the chat. I didn't put in the fucking chat. You put in the goddamn chat. Right. So now I'm still not mad at him, but like at the same time, like that's his problem. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know, like definitely want to, you know, not be that shit face where, you know, you do things and say things like I literally, I, I think I put something in a chat the other, the other day. I was like, cause I need a quarterback and it's a super deep ass league. And I said something about, you know, I'll do this for a quarterback. And I said, I may delete that. <laughs> I was like, whoops, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, so you're trying to create some activity for your trades, but like you want to make sure you do so with like honor, at least to some degree. I think that's really where you lose it. If you have an honorable two-way trade and someone fucks it up, they'll be okay. If you have a dishonorable trade regardless, that's when you start to lose credibility. 
So <clears throat> you bring up quarterbacks. Yeah. <clears throat> I parted ways with my dear Justin Herbert. And I've I've been unsettled about it ever since doing so. I I, yeah. I reaped a bounty and I've, you know, I got a bunch of future picks and everything. But I think that people get into these situations where um uh oh Shane, Shane, he talks about how uh if you're gonna sell a quarterback, you you have to demand like it's it is a truly a king's ransom that needs to come back your way. And if you can get one of these elite quarterbacks in a super flex format, you just kind of do it. Yeah. In your opinion, should we ever? And this, I, man, it's positional values developing developing into the theme of the show here. Yeah. Should one ever trade away a truly elite, proven, and I'm in young quarterback, not Tom Brady a young quarterback in a, in a dynasty super flex format. I, I was thinking about this question when you, when you sent it over and I was like trying to think about, it. I was like, well, what do I do when I, and I was like, wait, when was the last time I ever did that? And I was like, I don't remember, you know, <laughs> I don't remember doing it. I remember a couple times making the bad trade. Like I sold uh once one share of, Hertz when he was, you know, young before he'd broken out. I sold one share of fields before he'd broken out. And I regret those trades. Um, I got great players back or whatever. You know, obviously they were part of a big deal for a good player. It wasn't like I just sold them light, but I sold them nonetheless. And then they became the type of player that I would have had to sell a bunch of shit to get. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was like I did lose value in that in that particular deal, and I look back. And so for me, I'm sort of a quarterback hoarder in super flex leagues. And like even Zach Wilson right now, like, you know, if someone wanted to buy him, I wouldn't sell him like for nothing. He's going to resurface probably, you know, and and his value will, will go up. And, you know, any any sort of playable quarterback, because if you look at it like – you know, who, who lost their job, Mariota, you know? Um, and now he's a starting quarterback again. Like, you know, if you sold him for absolute nothing, well, then why'd you do that for? I mean, you might as well just hold on to him. So, you know, the quarterback sale is something that, yeah, you're going to have to pay my ass because, um, you know, I, you know, there's some leagues I have four, five, six quarterbacks will fucking pay up or I'm, a, I'm just going to hold them. And then y'all have to fucking deal with it. Like, and let, I'm not going to sell for nothing. I'm not giving my, cause here's the other thing. If you're holding these quarterbacks in some ways, you're also boxing out your opponent. Literally today I was so pissed and it was Shane, this motherfucker, uh, in the dynasty game theory invitational, I'm going up against Justin Boone of the score, who by the way is excellent at what he does. Justin Boone. What's up, buddy? Um, but I'm going up against Justin in the semifinals, you know, or not, whatever the, the first round of the playoffs or no, excuse me to make sure that we both get in the playoffs. Pardon me. We're both like nine and four need it, need it. We could both be out or either of us be out if we win, we're in. Okay. And he's got one playable quarterback and Shane sells him Mike white for like a second round pick. And I'm like, Fuck, you know, I have like six quarterbacks. I have like I don't remember who, I, but I have like these other guys that he could he could play. But fuck that, I'm not going to sell, you know. And Shane bails his ass out and gives him a QB two to play against me. And Shane didn't do it to me, but like just that one sale of quarterback is a huge, huge deal for for Justin against me in this league. 
And if I lose, I'm going to be pissed, and it's because of the quarterback market. You know, him having to put a, a – because here's the thing. You go, well, you can put a guy in there, and it's going to be, you know, 10, 15 points. No, he's putting his worst fucking guy in there. Guy's probably, you know, it could be like a, a real problem who he's got to put in there. It could be a John U. Smith. He's like, fucking let's go. So he could go from a zero to a 25, 30-point output. That's a big difference. So, again, those quarterbacks in those super flex and Q2B spots are very, very important. And, you know, you, you just don't want to give them away. I'm not saying Shane gave away, by the way. Uh, I'm just saying he could have waited a week. <laughs> well, so, but what do you think of that value? So he was, yeah. so Mike White basically assumed the role of backup uh, running back that you've been stashing. Oh my God, he's at his peak right now. I mean, you just said that you like to hoard them, but what do you think of, if we're going to apply this, I don't know, three times in a season backup quarterback that does something, what is the proper value for that? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, clearly here's the thing. He has very well. Um, he has less value to Shane, who's not going to make the playoffs, than he does to Justin, who needs this quarterback to win his matchup to make the playoffs and, and assure himself of a spot. So, you know, you also have to see those things coming. And and you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier the Scott Connor saying, "Hey, just add this extra thing, and I'll make the deal." You know, around this around these parts, we call that the chalk squeeze. Um, Chalk is a great trader because he's willing to make fair trades, like good, fair trades, but he's going to squeeze it. He's going to say, ah, oh, you know what? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'll do it, but I just need maybe a 24 third or whatever. You know, he's just, he's just, eh, yeah, it's fine, but just maybe a, uh, yeah, I'm good. All right, fine. And then he makes a trade. And then whatever trade it was, he also now just got the extra little piece. And I think in this particular case, you know, whether Shane did or didn't, I don't know. But he probably should have been like, oh, shit, look at Justin. He needs a fucking, oh, he's in some need. And now he has to say, hey, man, I'll totally give you Mike White. But, look, there's a possibility Mike White's the starter next year. And, by the way, that's true. I mean, yeah. let's face it. That's possible. I'm not saying it's probable. I'm saying it's possible. What, 20, 30, 15% chance? I mean, some sort of motherfucking chance that Mike White just takes this shit over and is Kurt Warner, Tom Brady. Possible, okay? Let's fucking get that out of the way. Dak Prescott, right? Um, and, again, not probable. Uh, so he has to say that in a DM or what, however they're communicating. Like, bro, I mean, I might be giving you a starter next year. I know it's a rental for you to win this year, which is also very important, but my goodness. I mean, let's just do the second, put this, and... Maybe just throw in, hey, look, what's-his-face is injured on your bench, da, da, da. He needs to squeeze his ass, right? And he needs to extract value, even if it's a little bit on the margins, you know, rather than, you know, just giving it away. So, because you know that in his position, Justin's going to look for that deal somewhere. And there's only so many places in that league that he can find a trade that's going to work. So, the, the point here is, when you see your uh, your opponent, what their desires are, you have to play upon that. Look, he's trying to win. A, he's trying to win a ship. He actually won the damn league last year. You're trying to you're trying to repeat. Yo, give me that pick. You know, give me two seconds, whatever it is. You got to make them o- overpay slightly, not way overpay. Because if you ask for too much, the guy's gonna go, dude. I can't f- get the fuck out of here, bro. Right? But you need to definitely squeeze each deal, and that's what it is. He's the seller. So in in this format, then 
you ultimately, I mean, you, you want these, you want a dual threat, but yeah. just having a passer is fine. So I, I have some curiosity as to your thoughts specifically on CJ Stroud. Yeah. He's not much of a runner as, no. I mean, as far as I, yeah. So where does he, but he's trending toward quarterback one top two. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, it's either him or Bryce young, right? I mean, it's, it's definitely those two guys. And you know, the thing with quarterback, Nick, is very it's very interesting because I, I I don't know. Is he Haskins? Is he Rosen? Is he Herbert? These are they're super tough because a lot of these guys look very similar when you start to break down the height, weight, speed, completion percentage, yards per attempt, passing touchdowns, touchdown to interception, interception rate. You know, you can look at so much stuff. Film. You you know, people are like, you know. Haskins look good, man, on film, you know, it was like, I mean, you know, so you start to just, it's very, very difficult to figure out which guy is going to be the guy or not. But your point is kind of, let's just say he hits his, 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 his sort of, you know, most his 80% outcome, you know, he's, he's as good as you thought he was going to be not, not a superstar and not, you know, he's just, wow, he's good. Is that player who does not run worth the 1.01 or 1.02. That's the question, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess so, right? You know, if you're, <laughs> it's good. If you're getting like, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins for, you know, 10, 15 years, sure, of course. Why not? You know what I mean? Um, you know, but yeah, you'd rather them be Justin Fields, Lamar Jackson, you know, Josh Allen, right? So I guess it's a, uh, it's a, higher ceiling for those players and that's what makes them more attractive. So yeah, I'm I'm I would certainly be very nervous to draft either of those two quarterbacks at the 1.02. I'm just I'll just say that. And and maybe that'll change as time goes on, but you know, and it's not because I don't think they're any good. It's just because you know, if they're if they're really good, how good are they going to be? And if they're if they're, uh, we know what happens if they're not, you know, we, we, we understand that the possibility. So I, I yeah, I'd probably be looking to trade that pick, to be honest with you. Interesting. So you were listing guys there and you, you were listing quarterbacks on your previous show. And I was very surprised to hear you say this, but you valued Trevor Lawrence over Kyler Murray. Is that accurate? Yeah. yeah I Can think you so. break that yeah. down. Um, Yeah. Well, I, I so right now. Well, so the, the the good part of Kyler Murray is is very simple. Like he's a running quarterback who will probably put up uh, numbers when you combine rushing yards and passing yards that maybe a handful of guys have ever done. That's the positive, and he just got paid, so he's gonna be at least doing that shit for a while. So if you're in the short term, I have no problem buying low on Kyler, right? But if you're asking me, like, if I really am keeping a guy for, you know, the long haul, would I move Kyler for Trevor Lawrence plus? You'd you'd almost have to get plus because the consensus is that uh, Kyler is, is, is a more valuable player, right? So that's why I say that too. It's not like, just in a vacuum, like, oh yeah, just trade straight up and fuck it. You know, it's like, well, no, know your, know your, know your value. And if you can fashion a trade where you're getting Trevor Lawrence back, but you're giving up Kyler, it doesn't have to be today either. 
But at, especially right now, it's probably a good time because, you know, Jacksonville got smoked. But I think Trevor's just going to be a good NFL quarterback for a very long period of time. Like, I think he's got the makeup where he's going to, you know, just be a pro for a long period of time. I mean, he's survived a really shitty situation. I mean, imagine if Baker were, you know, or like all these guys, I mean, just Baker, Darnold, all these, you know, Rosen, all the shit bags that have failed. And some of them had some pretty bad situations. You know, Darnold went through gaze, but he never like got better. You know, he never like rebounded, you know, right? Like Darnold had his fucking chances, man. You know, here we are with Lawrence in year two after I think the worst situation, you know, you know, Coke sniffing gaze was better than, you know, than, uh, <laughs> than Urban Meyer with the stinky pinky, right? Um, I mean, dude was thumb deep, right? I mean, he was, he was digging for gold. Um, and so, yeah, so Urban Meyer was definitely the worst. And, and that whole situation was bad, right? You know, and they showed it this week. I looked at this, the, they didn't, Detroit didn't punt in the fucking game. You know what I mean? It's like when your defense doesn't make Detroit and Jared Goff punt once, come on, man, you're at a disadvantage. You know, you're at a serious disadvantage. They were just running up and down the field on them. And so, you know, some people will be like, oh, I'm not sure about Trevor. It's like, what's he going to do? I mean, he, he can't play cornerback too, you know? So long story short is I think with Trevor, he's just he's just going to be a pro for a long period of time. He has a little bit of rushing upside, and I think once he finds his, his himself on a team that actually can be competitive, I think the wheels are up. Um, with Kyler, yeah, there's just a lot of word from NFL guys, right? So that he's uh, not a leader, that he's you know, and and those things scare me, right? Because it's like I don't know, I don't know how long his career is. He's a small guy. Um, he, he's very prolific when he plays, but his teams don't win. I don't know. It's just dysfunction. And I'm just a little nervous, uh, uh, about holding on to a guy like, like Kyler. It's fine. They're both in the, in, in the top 10, so you can do whatever the hell you want. But, you know, in general, if I, I just think I'd rather be holding Trevor Lawrence, if it makes me feel a little bit more secure. That's fair. And I think that your, your points comparing, um, Comparing Lawrence to Sam Darnold is a that's a good barometer there because we see yeah. these guys go through hell and understandably like just get broken and yeah David Carr he, yeah I, a little before my time but yeah, yeah. Um, he got literally broken like physically fucking broken <laughs> up like <laughs> it's just a pile of bones they're like can we put it back together nope he's broken so we've talked about. Uh, places that one gets to in, in the season where you either, you know, are staying your course or, or I guess, you, you know, accumulating assets always is, is the answer there. But yeah. sometimes these, these assets that we, we overinvest in, like for me, Tyrion Davis price and Kadarius Tony, whew, yeah. uh, if you need one, I got them um, yeah. <laughs> in dynasty formats. When we find these guys at value, and we're going, wait a second, we've we've assessed the situation. We think that we're way ahead of the market here, and we just start drafting these guys. And then we get through half the year and they, you know, we're searching for signs of life with them. Yeah. What do you what do you do? I mean, we had a lot of fun talking about uh Julius Chestnut. Yeah. And like I've had a blast rooting for him. I, you know, in the preseason, I watched every single snap he took. I was loving, it. I was excited about his his pass catching. Like he he looked good doing both things. 
Yeah. Um, what do you do with these guys who you really assess? And you know, actually, credit to you. I, I early in the year, I don't even. It, it was probably in the preseason. It was uh, Julius's name was starting to get traction, and I tagged you. You know, I, I called you the king of the the Julius Chestnut Hive or whatever. And you said you were the guy who introduced me to him. And you said I don't know if I'm in the Julius Chestnut Hive, but and you gave reasons why you liked him, but. That showed for me, you know, a very young dynasty player. That showed a level he- headedness that was good for me to experience because yeah. I thought I was the smartest guy in the room. Uh, getting this this player who, when I would tell you know redraft players about him, they'd be going, "So first off, you know, that's an all all name team guy, but second, yes, I don't know who that yes. is." Yes, what do you right. do with these guys, right? Who who don't do anything for us? You know that that are still in our our taxi squads. We talked about uh, Eric Izakanma in 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 August, and I thought, oh man, he's going to be the wide receiver three in Miami. And last week, two weeks ago, we saw Trent Shurfield just tearing it up. And you know that that's supposed to be Eric. What's going on? So, what do you do with these guys who are all excited about in the preseason? We draft, and then we just nothing from them. Yeah, that's a great great question. And by the way, the only reason I ever even liked Julius Chestnut was his name. I want to just get that out the way. I, I never saw him play once. Don't know how tall he is. I don't know if he's white or black. I don't know anything about the dude. Just know that he's – no, I'm joking. I love Julius Chestnut, but, like, here's the thing when, when it comes right down to it. It's like, um, what is the investment value of the team and what is the investment value of your – you know, here's – I had, like, almost 80% exposure to Julius Chestnut. People were like, oh. He's not going to do anything. It's like, I know. He's probably not going to do shit. But you know what? I picked him up free on a waiver wire. And if if Derrick Henry's foot were broken, I have a 220-pound <laughs> a back who runs a 4-5-40 who was unbelievable, unbelievably um, you know, productive in college at a small school who somehow made the team as an undrafted free agent who everybody who – you know, every article about him is dude's a dog. Everybody loves. So like, yeah, that's why you picked that guy up. The process was right. Jordan Mason, same thing, same thing. I actually never expected either guy to do shit in the NFL, but when they both made the team, that was the success of the call. The call was, Hey man, I think there's a little something here and it's better than the other shit. You know, the JV and Hawkins, right? There were people who thought JV and Hawkins was a top five back in his class, never saw the field, didn't make teams. Like, he's fucking five foot eight, 122 pounds. Like, what are you talking about? Like, if you're going to pick a guy who could possibly, you know, come from the, the depths and make it happen, you got to be looking for guys like we've, we've pointed them out, man. Ramondre, Elijah Mitchell, uh, James Robinson, fucking. Rec- Play the recordings of this damn podcast. It's been the guys we talked about. And so it's a, those are those types of guys. And, you know, so, okay. So running backs, we know, are all opportunity-based. If if literally if Derrick Henry cracked his knee open and it was done for him for the rest of the year, Chestnut would become – Haskins is hurt. Hilliard's a, a, a pass. They'd be like, all right, well, they, they would – he would probably get some level of opportunity. And if he ran with it, like Zonovan Knight did, then he'd fucking be a starter. You know, he'd be a a 15 touch guy a game 
tomorrow. That's crazy. You know, so, but he also is more likely to never do shit, you know? And so understanding that is what it is. Eric Ekuzama, who I, I can't even say his name, but like, you know, betting on him was a bet that, first of all, he looked pretty damn good in the preseason. So that looked good. I didn't really, I wasn't too on Ekuzama, but I get it. Okay. I get it. Why I wasn't too on him was not because of him. He actually looked great. I felt like I was missing the boat in the preseason. I was like, fuck, I might have missed this dude because of talent. But because of opportunity, they had Ty Hill, Jalen Waddell. Those seats are taken, motherfucker. You know what I mean? Those yeah. seats are taken. You're like, you're looking for a seat. You're like, nope, those are taken. Those are the seats <laughs> are taken. And then they paid Cedric Wilson all the money, and they paid Gusecki money. I was like, there ain't no fucking room. And then it turns out there is room, but it's goddamn Trent Sherfield. It's unbelievable, right? It's unbelievable. You'd think it'd be fucking this Eric Ekuzama guy, but it's not. So you should have won that bet, Nick. You should have won the Eric Ekuzama bet because the, the, it's open for him. There is a seat at the table, and yet somehow still he didn't do it. That was the bet on Jalen Tolbert. I miss Jalen Tolbert, and there's a lot of learning to do there. But here's the thing. I'm off Jalen Tolbert. I mean, it's not like I'm like, dude, no, man. He's going to fucking, you know, it's like, eh, maybe. I don't know. At some point, if he shows, I'll be like, yeah, that was the guy. I mean, I'll like sheepishly raise my hand and be like, that was me. But like, it's okay. You know, it's okay. I mean, I I probably uh, uh, overspent uh, in a couple of spots for Tolbert mid-seconds. But it's not like I ever, you know, went overboard. And I, I it, you know, the... I don't think I ever did draft him ahead of Christian Watson. The problem is I might have been willing to do so. And that's where I'm going to go back and look. I don't think I ever did. Hopefully I didn't. Uh, someone might receipt king my ass. But um, but no, I, I don't think I ever did. And But again, I probably would have. And that's what's fucked up about it. Because here we are with Christian Watson just, you know, just going off. So God bless him. I like Christian Watson a little bit. But, you know, sometimes we get a little emotional about who we like. And that's also also a problem you got to really stay pragmatic and that's why when you said i'm i'm in the chestnut hive i didn't want to I, I don't like to be like yeah bro he's awesome you know it's like make sure that we understand what we're really talking about we're talking about an undrafted player who might get a chance you know so did you have you just like mass cut tolbert is he still kicking around all I of refuse. your rosters yeah i refuse, refuse. yeah i refuse now is that part of the process, or do you just is that just Jalen? No, that's that's dynasty rosters are deep, and they have some they have some scars on the bottom of their rosters, and that's one of them. That's he's motherfucker staying on that roster until. Okay. I mean, honestly, you know, Mike Lou said it best. I thought when he was on the show, and we we were talking. By the way, Mike Lou, maybe we can do another show, brother. I mean, you know, I know you ain't doing the fantasy stuff, but you're a good show, brother. Let's get you back on the pod. Anyway, Mike Lou come on a pod and he was talking about how there's certain like um uh like there's gatekeepers. It's like were you drafted? Were you drafted? Pat check. Were you drafted in day 2? Check. Oh shit, were you a first round check? You know, okay, you were drafted. Okay, did you perform as a rookie? Check. All of a sudden now you enter a different realm of player. You know, I I used to have you two together. These two player A and player B both get drafted in the third round. I'm pretty close. I'm I prefer player A. Okay, great. 
well, player A gets drafted in the third round. Player B gets drafted in the third round. I still prefer player A. Well, then the season starts. We're eight weeks in. Player A has played 42% of the snaps. Player B hasn't gotten on the field. Player A, I excuse me, the other way around. The guy uh, I didn't prefer has played, and the guy I did prefer hasn't played. I like the other guy better now. You know what I mean? It's like once they, they – they, you can't hold on to your priors, you know? Like – I obviously like Christian Watson way better than I like Jalen Tobin. Like, what the fuck are we talking about? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they were close for me coming in. And yes, one was drafted in round two. You know, it's like Pickens and Sky Moore and all these guys, Jamison Williams. You have to start to move these guys as they start to check off the boxes of what they're actually capable of doing. And Christian Watson has shown that he's capable of making big fucking plays in the NFL. Right. So Jalen Tolbert has not done any of that shit. So he is being, you know, you know what I mean? And obviously we all know that that's true, that he's more, you know, valuable, but you have to make sure that you're moving with those things as they go. You know, if, if Julius Chestnut didn't make the team, I'd have been like, well, he didn't make the fucking, you know, what do you drop him everywhere? But he did make the team. So I held on to him in a lot of leagues In a couple leagues. I dropped him because it's like, you know, he's a tertiary player, but yeah, you have to really look at those sort of uh, benchmarks as either they they made it or they didn't, and then go from there. All right. So we've talked a bunch about – we're just dis- discussing receivers. We've talked about quarterbacks, running backs. The position that we have not touched on, which is simultaneously the most underwhelming and most maddening, is tight end. You were tweeting yeah. the other day. <laughs> yeah. Tight end. You were t- you were tweeting the other day about how Kyle Pitts is still a great prospect. Yes. And, and, and Travis Kelsey though, this, I fell for Kyle Pitts. Oh my God. So hard. And, and I like, and, and even his, his advanced metrics continue to show this unbelievable prospect. And yet you are advocating reason in comparing him to, who is probably now the goat, Travis Kelsey? Is that fair? I mean, is it is it still Gronk, or do we just do we give it to Kelsey? I mean, for you to even mention that fuck that Gronk isn't the greatest tight end of all time is a little disrespectful in this house, motherfucker. I mean, I don't know who you think you are coming in here and starting to move the furniture around. No, I'm joking. But um, I, <laughs> I mean, look, Kelsey is the greatest fantasy tight end of all time. That is a fact, right? So like. Uh, it's just a fact. Now, if you were saying, you know, that Gronk is a better football player and therefore affected winning more than Kelsey, I could hear that argument, right? Because Gronk was also a third offensive tackle. That's a fact. Like he was, he was a problem. But because he was so big and so tough, the only way they could tackle him was like to missile launch his fucking kneecaps, right? <laughs> they did. They missled. They would just missile toward, like, literally head first, diving at his kneecaps. And that was fucking awful to see as a Patriots fan, especially a Gronk fan who, like, I think we've grown to know that he is, like, the most lovable. Like, he's a pretty cool motherfucker. Like, bro king of all time. Like, Gronk bro king for sure. And so, anyway, it's like he was a different type of schematic problem for the defense than Travis Kelsey is. Um, because of the run game effect he had, you know, Kelsey, as good as he is, 
is not a run game game changer. He's fine, right? He's fine. He's not a minus, but Gronk was an A plus in the run game. A, maybe A plus plus. Like, just you'd watch, you'd be like, oh God, that was fucking embarrassing what he did to that linebacker. And then he would rip the seam or he'd take a screen pass and shove a guy out of bounds and run for a touchdown. Like, he did shit that no one else has ever done. So when you ask me who's the greatest tight end of all time, it is Rob Gronkowski, but only in short spurts because of injury, etc. The greatest fantasy tight end would be, you'd have to go Kelsey one, maybe Gonzalez second, uh, Gates third maybe. I, Gronk, I mean, again, for the years he was available, was one for a while, but if you go, you know, career, he's, he's I don't know, maybe he's two through four, somewhere in there. All that being said, the Pitts tweet was, and, and I, maybe I'll summarize it and read it. I said, you know, I think the Pit, that Kyle Pitts is the best receiving tight end prospect in many years, maybe of all time, right? So let's break that down. I think Kyle Pitts might be the greatest receiving tight end prospect of all time. You know what that means? Almost nothing. That's what it means. Because as we go back, if we look at the greatest tight ends of all time, we go to Travis Kelsey. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't an elite pick. He wasn't. Gronkowski was a second or third round, late second round pick. And people were like, eh, you know, we'll see. Um, Antonio Gates played fucking basketball. Tony Gonzalez, yeah, you know, these guys weren't number one overall picks. These guys weren't that highly lauded. I mean, I guess Gonzalez was to some degree. But my point being here is that being that, being the greatest receiving prospect at the tight end position in history is not a very predictive indicator of NFL fantasy success. It just isn't. So even though that's true, and I agree with that, I think he probably is the greatest tight end prospect, receiving tight end prospect of all time. But I don't know what that means. So I said that that doesn't make him a lock for elite fantasy points going forward because I just fucking said it. It doesn't doesn't do that. It doesn't make it so. It just, I don't know. He's awesome, but it doesn't make him so. Why is that? Well, we see tight end usage vary dramatically from team to team. They don't earn targets at the same rate as wide receivers, mainly because they're deployed much differently. For the most part, receivers are deployed somewhat similarly, almost very similarly from team to team. Whereas tight ends are deployed vastly different from team to team and from scheme to scheme, from coach to coach, from quarterback to quarterback, from whatever to whatever. They're utilized differently. If 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 Kelsey were playing for a more regressive program without Mahomes and Reed, he wouldn't be what he is. He'd be great because he's awesome. We, we know that to be true, but he wouldn't be that tight end one Dominant tight end one year over year. You know, we've seen other prospects fail. I said, when I mentioned OJ Howard and Ebron, I probably almost shouldn't have because people are like, he's better than OJ Howard. It's like, I know. I'm just <laughs> saying, I, it's like people tend to respond to the one thing that they're like, that's fucking stupid. It's like, no, no, I'm just trying to illustrate how we felt about these other prospects and then they let us down. You know, um, so I think that's what it comes down to with the tight end position. And when you start looking at the tight end position, 
it's much harder to to figure where they come from. I guess Hawkinson and Goddard were, you know, highly lauded, but even Goddard, what did he come from? North Dakota State or some shit. Um, you know, Kittle was a fifth round pick, um, lightly used at Iowa. Um, so I, I, I tend to think these tight ends are much, much more difficult to find, which is why even being so out in front of Albert Akuabunum didn't even hurt me because there's not like I had any opportunity cost. I'm just trying to fucking hit lightning in a bar- lightning in a bottle and try and get some ceiling. And it turned out this year, only one player in the entire fucking NFL offered ceiling at the tight end position, and that was Travis Kelsey. Everybody else was middling to good. So what I'm hearing there is, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. there may not be a right or wrong way to approach this position. There's, there tends to be a breakout in year three or four and for a lot yeah. of these guys because they, they have to learn – you know, how to try to do what Gronk did, which is to be an extra offensive lineman and play receiver. Right. Do you, like, I I was thinking through strategies. Do you ever like, okay, this guy's going into his fourth year and, you know, he flashed whatever yards per outrun. I got to go get him out. Like, is it, do you have any sort of structure to that or just, he looks like a decent prospect, you know, whether it's in his, uh, Collegiate career, first year, second year, whatever, and I just got to get something here, so I'm going to take my shot. How do you approach it? Well, and I, you know, there's been a lot of success and failure, but I think it's a lot of just trying to buy the dip, but also buy athleticism and opportunity, right? You know, because if you have a guy that's like, you know, um, I'm not thinking of a good example, but just a just a guy, just a tight end, a fella, you know, you know then it doesn't really do you any good. You can find average production at the tight end position on the waiver wire. Not Maybe not in dynasty leagues, but almost, you know, Jawan Johnson. You know, it's like, well, there you go. Look at that. Picked him up, played him. He's fine and was the tight end six this week. You know, you can find that. But to find Kittle, by the way, who I did call Kittle after rookie season, after, you know, before rookie and as a, after his rookie season, really like Kittle. Why? Well, the reason I like Kittle was the same reason I like the, you know, Albert O for that matter, was that he made big plays at the tight end position with the ball in his hands. It's like the, the guy's super athletic, big, strong, and fast, and made plays with the ball in his hands. Like, well, shit, if they give him five or six of those a game, you're talking about 80 yards and a touch every week. Well, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for yards and touchdowns. And so you know, you try and find these guys. And unfortunately, even Kittle, you know, I think Kittle's the best tight end in the NFL right now, but it doesn't really matter that he's the best tight end in the NFL because he he's sometimes hurt. He's not used as much. They're not a high passing attack. And a, a bunch of different reasons makes him not an elite fantasy tight end, but it makes him a, I think any GM in the league would trade their tight end for George Kittle, right? You know, like, but that doesn't matter. Right, it doesn't matter because it doesn't equate to fantasy points. Well, I forget who I joked with on the pod about points per block or points per pancake PPP leagues. You know, um, they're just not coming. It's not happening. It doesn't fucking matter. You know, points per you know block that the running back takes it to the house doesn't matter. Right. Um, so you know, for that reason, you're just looking for upside. You're looking for big plays, and they're very very hard to find at the tight end position this year, particularly almost impossible to find outside of Travis Kelsey. And that's been, you know, 
either you have Travis Kelsey or you don't have Travis Kelsey. That's basically the tight end. It's like I, I either have him or I don't have him. Those are the two tight ends you have this year. So, so given the difficulties that that position has in just producing generally, like as you're illustrating here, it it's Kelsey, and then it's you know hopefully someone like you'd feel pretty good about Hawkinson, but he's not Kelsey, right? When you see a yes. promising profile, do yeah. you go at him aggressively? Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, you know for me, I, you know, uh, look, Kittle was taken late. I, I don't necessarily want to invest early in tight end because it's not predictive. It's like. This year it would have been Trey McBride. I went back and I looked at like, you know, like this past year would have been Trey McBride. And it's like, you know, he was definitely over guys like Dulcich, et cetera. And, you know, it's maybe it's maybe it's Trey McBride, but certainly it looks like if you were redrafting right now, Dulcich would be the tight end one in the class. And I went back and I looked. And if you look at like the running back classes and the um you know, the wide receiver classes, the guys that are taken at the top of the draft by and large are the guys that are dope. You know, draft capital matters. But if you look at like, if you go back and look at some of these draft classes, you know, um, Hayden Hurst and Mike Gesicki were taken ahead of Dallas Goddard and Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews was a third round pick. You know, it's like, um, if I go to the one, another draft, it was, um, uh, where was it? Oh, Kittle was taken in the fifth round. And ahead of him was, you know, Adam Shaheen and Michael Roberts. And, you know, we we, we loved O.J. Howard and Evan Engram. And Engram put out a good rookie season. And Joku, Gerald Everett, that was a pretty good draft class for tight ends. But, like, Jake Butt, uh, all those guys were taken ahead of George Kittle, who was clearly the class, you know, the class of that class. Um, we loved Tyler Eifert. He was a first-round pick, but he was taken ahead of Zach Ertz, you know, and, and who was taken ahead of him was, you know, then it was Gavin Escobar and Vance McDonald and then Travis Kelsey in the third round. Um, so we look at these, you know, <coughs> Gronkowski was taken in the second round after Jermaine Gresham, who was definitely the, the tight end one that year. So we're not very good at, at identifying them. Uh, RIP pour one out that same year, Jimmy Graham and, Aaron Hernandez were taken basically in the fourth round. Jimmy Graham, 3.31. Aaron Hernandez in that fourth round. Tony Moecki and Ed Dixon were taken ahead of Jimmy Graham and Aaron Hernandez. So, you know, you start to look at like the draft capital and it matters a lot less. And I'm not saying that, you know, um, uh, to not just ignore draft capital. I'm just saying that, generally taking shots a little bit later, like mid to late in your, in your rookie drafts is a good place to find these guys. Cause that's where these guys were taken, you know? So um, that, that's what I'm really saying is that while draft capital is super, super predictive at other positions with tight end, a little bit less. So, and athleticism is more predictive than draft capital, or at least if you kind of correlate the two. Okay. So with that said, then I want to ask you about a specific fourth round tight end blazed a four, five, two forty Chagosia Mokonkwo. Let's go Tennessee Titans. So I've been tracking this guy. Actually, I, I meant to go look up when I first, when he like caught my eye, but he has been popping in the per routes data basically all year. Um, he saw a big uptick in on field usage uh, around week nine. Since then, 
among NFL tight ends with at least 15 targets. He's number three in targets per out run with a 27% targets per out run rate. He is number one in yards per out run with 3.54. Now that data, shout out to the 33rd team in True Media. That's where that comes from. Those numbers are, a, that, that that's preposterous. 3.54. Now I know his, his sample size is small. This week he gets to go up against Jacksonville. Worst coverage linebackers in the league. Like I am ecstatic. I'm starting him everywhere. But I I fall prey to this where I latch on and I, I get too excited. What are you doing with this prospect? No, that's a great question. I mean, Cheka Kwango, I mean, pretty, pretty exciting uh, prospect. And I would say that you're on to the right data points, you know, yards per run, yards per catch, yards after contact, because, you know, that's what leads us to guys that actually have some, because, you know, a guy gets, you know, f- four catches for 22 yards and no scores. It's like, yeah, he played all game, bro. You know, but you know, one you know one catch from a Quanco, he, he can really make it make it happen. You know, forty yards and a touchdown. You're like, boom, there we go. That's a that's a that's a week at tight end. So I like a Quanco. Boy, they have a type, don't they? Delaney Walker, Janu Smith, and now a Quanco. I mean, these guys that are slightly undersized. Uh, you know, under that six four. What's what's check? Uh, like six two. Um, so you know, I think that six, that's six three six three yeah, two thirty eight. That's with shoes on. That's with shoes on. He's 6'2". Uh, but no, I'm only teasing. But, um, you know, they have a type. And I think that's what, you know, they've been able to get these younger athletic, um, you know, tight ends that are a little bit undersized and they're okay with that. And so, hey, yeah, I like him a lot. He's the he's exactly what you should be looking for. But again, don't go all in because you don't, you know, you just don't know. But yeah, that's the type of guy I'd be looking to move on to my roster uh, if possible for sure. Absolutely. Um, so you- he does, uh, you know, the, the, the anatomy of a, of an elite, uh, tight end would say that he's a little too small. Um, and what that means is, is people are like dude six, three, instead of six, four, six, five or whatever. It's like, come on, you're such a fucking nerd. And really it just comes down to at the end of the day, do they see him as a primary tight end or as a you know, just a situational player in the NFL. It's not what I like. It's what the NFL teams utilize, which is why in Tennessee it's a little bit better because they've done it before with Delaney Walker. So maybe they're a little bit more, and again, it's different different coaches and shit, but, you know, sometimes it's like, well, maybe they're okay with it. Maybe there's some, some, some people in the building that are like, it's okay, just go ahead and play him or whatever. I don't know how this shit works, but, like, you know, what I'm saying is generally speaking, when they're a little bit smaller – whether they're more injury prone or just get played off the field, especially in run plays, right? The whole Gronk thing, the whole idea that made Gronk great and kill great, that they're on the field all the fucking time. When guys come off the field, they can be limited so that when you're in a positive game script, you don't see them on the field. They get, they give you goose egg. You know, a guy like uh, Gronk is going to be, even if you're up, he's still a threat to score a touchdown, right? Play action, some sort of goal line play. He's in the game. Some of these guys just aren't in the game, and that's a problem for your fantasy team. And uh, to something you mentioned earlier, the uh, yards per reception and yards after catch per reception. Yeah, he's number one on those two. Yes. Um, yes. But <laughs> so I want to I I pivot here to something we have, we've not touched at all. Uh, we just saw Deshaun Watson oh. debut last week. Now, I think that his suspension will end up being a lot longer than any – quarterback i mean i guess so it's probably gonna 
he didn't play football for like a year and a half, almost two years. Um, this was kind of an unprecedented experience, at least for me watching this, this play out. Do you have any takeaways? And the guy that I have in the back of my mind here is Calvin Ridley, what he's going to look like when he returns. And I know it's a different position and everything, but sometimes we get these, you know, two game suspensions, whatever, six games. Is there anything from the suspension landscape that you've taken away and you're going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to put this into my process next time because i know that you said that you were you know purely from a i'm trying to win football games here you were acquiring him because he you know when he when he wasn't going to start for a whole year it was like well yeah i mean we can get this guy dirt cheap what are you doing with suspensions moving forward i thought deshaun looked a little tight like he was missing something like some something that helped him relax that's what i thought (laughs) i saw on the field when i saw deshaun he just looked a little you know, like he needed to loosen up some something. I don't know what it was, but something he was not getting in sort of the training room or something like that. Is that a bad take? Is that too soon? I don't think so. Dude, he's a fucked up dude. Uh, <laughs> so he could just eat it, you know? But, um, yeah, I mean, has there ever been a player that everybody sort of secretly fist pumped and just kind of did the thing where they're like, yes, he sucked this week. That's fucking great. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I think we all kind of were like, even if you had him on your team, you're like, yeah, whatever. I didn't really want you to do that good anyway, you motherfucker. But, um, you know, he's still very, very talented. I think it's a little bit of rust. I think he's going to be fine. It's probably yet another buy-low opportunity. Just kind of strange. You know, Houston's been weird because they haven't really allowed very much to the passer. You know, like I have, um, I forget who's playing. Oh, Dak's playing Houston this week, and I've got a couple of Dak teams. And I'm like firing up Dak, and then you look at the little matchup thing, and it's like Houston third best against the pass. You're like what? Who the? F- How the fuck are they good against the pass? And then you start to go, well, maybe it's just because they're so bad against the run. Everybody's just able to run it right into the end zone, and then they don't need to pass for the rest of the game, which is true. But then um, they're doing something to stop the pass. They did it again uh, against Cleveland, who has their own dysfunction for obvious reasons. But um, I don't know, man. I think he's going to be fine. Is that the question? He's going to be fine. Okay. You know, so there's the, the, yeah, he'll be fine. There's that. But what are you, is there anything to learn? Like, is, do we just buy low? Is this, is, is Rust just like, hey, it's another, like, you know, Calvin yeah. Ridley. Like, is, I think yeah. so. Okay. Don't you? Okay. Don't I you don't think know. So? I mean, it's yeah. I, it's like there's something to be learned here. It's such an unprecedented situation. I mean, maybe it's hey, don't bank on you know you you. Have, I've heard you advocate not drafting guys who are already hurt. Maybe don't yeah. draft a guy who's not going to start <laughs> half the season because when he comes back, he might suck for a little bit. Right. Yeah, I think with the Calvin Ridley, you, you got me thinking a little bit, and it's like okay, if a guy pops his Achilles or his ACL or whatever, what is he doing? between the time he gets hurt to the time he gets back. Real question, not rhetorical. What's he doing? Uh he's he's well preparing in whatever way he can. If it's an injury, then he's rehabbing. Rehabbing, right? That's yeah. what, right. We all just would say everybody on the on the air was like, he's fucking rehabbing. He's yeah. rehabbing. What is rehabbing? Well, he's riding a bike, swimming, running, working the leg, doing the huh, hey, working, fucking trying to get better. What the fuck is Calvin Ridley doing right now? <laughs> like <laughs> I hope he's just. I believe uh, he's chilling. Yeah, yeah damn it. <laughs> right. What Shit. was what was Deshaun Watson doing? 
He was fucking chilling. <laughs> yeah. I remember uh, I Leonard Fournette. No, I think you're right. This is my Leonard take. Fournette, he used to talk about how he'd eat gumbo. <laughs> he'd sit in bed and eat gumbo during the buys. And it was like, He's oh, chilling. maybe we, Yeah. Yeah, they're chilling. So that's the answer. I think really, I, I mean this with, you know, because if you're injured, you're like, fuck, I am, dude, I'm not going to be able to make any more money. I got to fucking, the knee, it needs to get better immediately. Like I got to, I got to fucking run. I got to fucking go see the doctor. I got to do the belts and the weight training and the fucking running and the, I got them in the pool. Shit, my knee, it needs to get better immediately. Calvin Ridley's like, oh, fuck, man. Let's let's go to dinner. <laughs> He's chilling, dude. He is fucking absolutely chilling right now. But still buy low, because eventually the the whatever the chill rest will shake I've had in a long time, right there. That's good. Everybody knows. Everybody's nodding. Like motherfucker's right, dude. He is chilling. He's millionaire. He's got like whatever. Like he's door dashing shit. You know what I mean? He doesn't give a shit about the cost, the tips, whatever. He's tipping good. He's getting some pizzas brought in. Some fucking. He's getting it done. Yeah, he's chilling. That's what he's doing. Okay, so in in your when you when you're or when you oh my god when your off season comes around. Are you chilling yes. or do you rehash your process? <laughs> no, I'm definitely <laughs> chilling. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm chilling right now. Um, no, it's a good. <laughs> We're having too much fun. I love it. Yeah. This is a great pod. I'm having fun, man. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you for having me. I mean, that, yeah, of course. Look, I think that's a good question. And to get serious, if I may, <laughs> if I may get serious, um, yeah, you got to, uh, you got to, uh, you got to look back and, and I'm going to try and understand the things I got wrong and why I got them wrong. You know, even if they were slightly wrong, you know, just whatever, like, I'm not going to worry about Javante Williams. I'm not going to sit there and go, man, Javante got hurt. Fuck. You know, like Javante was going to be great. I mean, I'm not even going to worry about things like Russell a little bit, maybe Russell Wilson to the Broncos, I guess there's something to learn there, but boy, we all have something to learn there because I don't know very many people that were, that predicted this outcome. Like no one, right? I didn't hear this at all. (laughs) I told you that he was my, my dark horse to lead the league in passing. So obviously, yeah, I, I got that one wrong. Yeah, no, but you, me and every single other person, because they had a great roster, a good defense, you know, they have this running running attack. <clears throat> they brought Melvin Gordon back, which hurt for fantasy, but actually helped for real life. You're like, two-headed monster. Like, you know, the wide receivers, they they had Albert O, who we all kind of, everybody secretly thought, hey, there's a chance here. And, of course, it was fun to sort of pioneer that. But also Dulcich, it was like, hey, if he sucks, they still have a good tight end there. Like, n- there was no stone unturned. Patrick and Sutton and Hamler and Judy, and it's like, Dude, wheels up. The most efficient quarterback in the history of the league, and he he's going to a team. Like, what could go wrong? Well, that one is 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 tough because I don't know we're going to see too many opportunities like that again, and I don't know that there's too much to learn from things like that. But you know, yeah, I go back and I look at I look at ADP, rookie ADP. I look at um, like I went back and I looked at um before last season uh startups so not this past season but the year before i went and looked at some startups and it was like 
I, I told someone, uh, one of my friends, I go, dude, go look at who you drafted before Amon Ross St. Brown in that fucking startup. You know, because the rookies were in there or whatever. I was like, just go fucking eat that fucking cheeseburger because it's going to hurt. And sure enough, you go back, you're like, oh my God, dude, how did I, you know? And it's not to say that you fucked up. It's to say, why did you do that? And why was it such an egregious mistake? What should we be looking for in the future? Because you don't want to be too overweight on rookies and, 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 and um, startup drafts. It's not, that's not the answer specifically. Although JJ Zacharyson's done some pretty good work that says like these rookie wide receivers after their rookie year are generally good. But anyway, long story short is like, you know, what is there to learn from all those things? And, and that's what I like to go look at and, and, and start to see where the pitfalls are. Where were the really bad picks of a startup draft that you just did last year? I just go back and look and be like, oh, that is rough. It might be me or it might be somebody else. It doesn't really matter because the learning doesn't need to be, I mean, it's better if it's your pain because then it really fucking hurts and stink, sink, sinks in. But like just being able to go identify those things and sense what the mistake was. Because it's not a mistake that that guy made or this manager made. It's the mistake that the ADP makes or that we all make uh, together. Um, you know, because you could fade a guy and you're like, I wouldn't draft him in the third. Take him in the fourth. Well, in the fourth, he sucked too. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it was a bad pick to begin with. And why was that? And, and, and you know, every year there's something to go back on. So, yeah, I, I do that every single year. What about you? Right. you? Well, wait, okay, so – so for me, the the clearest thing that I that I took away after my first season playing Dynasty, mm. and and I know this is I guess I'm given more of a results thing here. Um, I totally miscalculated how valuable picks are, and so right. I thought I thought I was a genius in my startup draft where I sent sent a first rounder um, for for the right to select. <laughs> Will Fuller and Gus Edwards, because I right. thought, you know, if I could get a wide receiver in the first round and he could turn into Will Fuller, and this was before his finger exploded and everything, um, then I'd be happy. So why not just take Will Fuller? And and I, right. I understand now you don't want to be tied. You don't want the assets tied up there. You, you need yes. to. Yeah, you need to be duplicating your assets where you, you're gaining something and you're gaining something down the road. Um. So, but, picks, that, man. But, but by the way, Nick, that, that that's a classic uh, new dynasty player mistake. You you know football well enough, but you misvalued first round picks, and you know who the me of that league gladly accepted that trade <laughs> from you. And the new you will now gladly accept that trade from somebody else. And then when you get to really, 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 really sharp leagues, that's not available. Right? So when you're in a sharp, sharp league, no one's doing that. So then it becomes, well, if I can do that for a third, would I do it in that? Because, you know, the value is so, you see what I'm saying? So then it becomes a different question and a more sort of tight, question with value as to whether or not it's a good trick so obviously for a first you're a donkey you're you're <laughs> the fish you fucked up you but you paid your uh price to learn that lesson we we were all there um but yeah that's exactly right i mean for me it's like you know uh i i thankfully was a draft nick 
and, and a draft addict coming into Dynasty League. So I somehow naturally just wanted picks. Like that's something I just, I, I desired more than players, so to speak, if you will. And so I was on the right side of those picks early in my career, which made me sort of better than some of the other players in Dynasty when we first started. But as it gets tighter and tighter, what you find is that those deals aren't there. So you have to find new and more creative ways to find the margins. But, you know, we've had this conversation on this pod a, a bunch of times because I talked to a lot of very, very sharp Dynasty players who play in high-level expert or high, you know, uh, uh, high, big money leagues. And, 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 then, and, and they forget that a lot of our listeners are playing with a, a bunch of guys who don't know as much. And so these trades are there for them and you have to take them. You asked me earlier, would you be who, whoever you traded Will Fuller and Gus Edwards to get that first, whoever had that first, did you hate them? You know what I mean? Oh you, no, I didn't remember yeah. your question earlier about like, yeah. you know, the relationship. Do you hate them? I don't remember <laughs> who it was. Bingo. That's so. my point. <laughs> so that answers your question earlier. Should you take advantage? No, that guy did you a service. Whoever it was, let you go ahead and learn the ropes, and you're like, oh, that was you problem, not a him problem. He accepted a trade, you whatever it was, right? But you now know through this sort of learning that you would never do that again. But he didn't do something to you. I mean, he did, but <laughs> you know, you were willing. It was consensual is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So... <laughs> I think I think we might. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, I, 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 he's going to need a water break, folks. Let's just take five. Let him get a drink of water and a cigarette. He's going to go outside. It's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay for Nick. Everybody, don't worry about it. Will Fuller, Gus Edwards, first round pick. He's fine. Don't worry about it. Who is that first round pick? Don't worry about it. It's probably Justin Jefferson. Everything's fine. I wish I. Yeah, that's. I don't even remember. I wasn't. I was so. I think I was just embarrassed. I just collapsed within myself, and I didn't even go like, "All right, who did I give him for this?" It was probably an awesome wide receiver that I don't have now. Uh, don't worry, yeah, I got just, Kadarius Tony. So yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, I got Kadarius Tony. It's all good. His hamstrings are worse than Will Fuller's. Ladies that's and gentlemen, so crazy. Nick Botiford. <laughs> like i said up and comer oh my god nick that That's was right. so good oh so good besides whose damn podcast is this you've been answering i mean asking all the questions what's going on great job buddy thank you i appreciate it this this was uh this was a ton of fun i i'm awesome. we all we're very lucky to have you we get to thank we you. get to bounce all these questions off you you get to have a, a little egogasm on air and it's <laughs> It's a good time for all involved. Yes, uh, there is. There is a little too much ego. I'll try and, you know, actually my, a good friend of mine, you know, when I was doing the show early on was like, you know, I was so, um, uh, you know, uh, complimentary of whomever was on and, and, I, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm a, I'm a friendly person. I, I, I do appreciate others and I appreciate our friendship and, and I appreciate you so much and all the rest of it. I, I, I sort of let that come up. He was like, you need to go on air and tell everybody you're the fucking best in the world. Blah, blah. I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, that's fun. That's fun. Um, and there's something to that. Um, I think people want to hear some of those types of things. Uh, I don't know. I, I just have fun with it. I told you before the show that I don't really have a, a boss or a master. We don't do ads. 
you know, everybody listening to this show gets to listen without, you know, hearing something about shaving their balls every five seconds. I mean, we are sponsored by, um, you know, Manscaped. They're fucking fantastic and all the rest of it, but I let it happen elsewhere. We've, we've, I just, I fight against it every time because I think this is my show. I want it to be fun. And until someone's paying me a fucking boatload of money, then they don't get to fucking sponsor my show. It's just the way I, I, I've done it. And, and yeah, uh, we have partners, you know, and, and all the rest of it, but this show is about to be, is, is about being fun and having fun. And that's what it's about. And, and it's a, it's about creating the show that I wished was out there and, you know, and bringing folks on like yourself, you were, you were outstanding today. We're not done. If you don't want to be, if you have anything else to add, I mean, you, you were asking me a question when I rudely interrupted, were you, were, did you have something else you want to, you want to mention? Well, I, th- I think that we kind of covered it. The, the last idea here was basically what, what is it that young dynasty players, what do, what do we fail to ask? What do we fail to wonder about? And I think, you know, my example might, like I said, might've already covered that there, but there's always something I think there's something more to learn in every scenario. Do you have any sage advice to, to leave the listeners with? No, of course not. Um, you guys know that I have no sage advice. I just have bloviating takes of fucking epic rants of nonsense. That's what I've got. That's why the people tune in. That's what they want to hear. Um, and uh, when it comes to the, the 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 new people, the fact of the matter is, there's probably nobody who's new to Dynasty listening to this stupid ass show, you know, in December when they could be spending time with their family, getting a Christmas tree. But um, yeah, I think it comes down to you know protecting value. That's the thing that I think is, you know, when you're when you're a redraft player. I was thinking about this when you were talking earlier, Nick. When you're a redraft player. You don't have access to certain trades because you don't have draft picks, right? So you can only make a trade that's win-win for that season. So when people transition to dynasty, they say, oh, I can fucking do yada, yada, yada for, and I can get the best player in the league. And so they think, well, that's a no-brainer. And in some ways they're right. But if they're seeding value in doing so, there's a risk corresponding to that, right? So if they give up a Rashad Bateman and a Devontae Smith and a first-round pick for CMC, yeah, that's like, oh, fuck. I wasn't even playing Bateman's hurt. The first is late. Devontae Smith is playing on a run-first team. Who gives a shit? But as soon as you trade for CMC and he busts out his knee – all of that value is gone, right? It's just gone. And you're like, ugh, the fuck, dude? My team sucks. I don't have my pick. Fucking look at Devontae, which went for, you know, 9-120 and a touchdown. And, oh, my God, right? You just feel miserable. And, and those are the things that happen in Dynasty that you just can't necessarily, like, you can't predict. And so protecting the value is important even when you're trying to quote unquote go for it, which is full circle. Cause that's what we were talking about at the very beginning of the show. But to me, that's what I've learned over the last year is that no matter what you need to make sure you're protecting the overall value of your team, um, <clears throat> especially in deeper starting rosters, you know, in these leagues where you start, you know, nine or 10 and it's a 10, 10, 10 team league at eh, whatever, who gives a shit. There's so many, quality players 
available on every team that you might as well just continue to try and stack elite talent on your team at almost all costs. But when you're playing in deeper leagues, you can become exposed very, very easily, if that makes sense. Thank you, Jax. You're welcome, I appreciate you. Hey, man. By the way, Nick Bottiford is doing some amazing stuff. He's one of those guys that the reason I had Nick on the show, and a lot of, a lot of people may not have heard of him, he's, um, he's just grinding. He's actually doing hard work. Tell the people some of the places that your work can be found because I will say that one of the things that we did in the show that you guys might have heard was that Nick was kind of interviewing me. And I wanted him to do that because I had heard his show. I'd actually guessed it on his show. I thought he was a really good, and, and you guys saw it. He was great at sort of asking the question and, and guiding a guest. And he's really good at that. He's also a connector of people, a hard worker, and he's writing really great content. And he's really good at pulling great ideas from a number of great people, not including myself, in the fantasy space, um, and sort of sharing that with other people. And I thought that was something that I was attracted to and Nick and, and you've done a great job of that, but tell the people where they can find some of that great work out on the internet and elsewhere. Thank you. Um, Before I do that, I do want to just give props to, to you and to the fantasy industry. You mentioned the connection of people to people here. I have found that the most unlikely people who you never expect to get back to you in this industry, when you reach out to them, they will do it. And I, you know, I reached out to give a shout out to my guy, Ryan Reynolds, uh, co-head of betting at the 33rd team. That guy is my mentor. I, I messaged him a year and a half ago. He had no business responding to me. And that dude, he, he has done more for me than I can ever describe. But if you're young in this industry, and you have someone that you're looking up to. And I got, you know, I, I I reached out to Scott. He was very generous, gave me his time late at night after your kids went to bed. It was it was so nice of you to do that. The, the industry has it has great people, and if if you're if you were young in it and you see somebody that you like what they're doing, let them know and and just you know bust your ass, but re, ask for their help. They people will give it. Um, where can you find me? Okay, so early in the week. I've got a recap column that comes out for the 33rd team. Uh, it's under varying names right now. Five things we learned. It, it might change in, in future weeks. That's not, not up to me, but you can, you can find me there. You can find me at the 33rd team. And we have great people over there. That's an upcoming, very exciting website. I've got my own stuff. I've got my own rankings at Nerdball, nerdballff.com. I didn't come up with the name, but I love it there. Hey, uh, this shoe fits. That's right. Um, that's where, so my rankings are there. My podcast is there nerding out with Nick Bodiford, and that can be found at the, the Nerdball fantasy football podcast feed. Uh, there's even when, a Jax Falcone episode. Yeah. Go check it out. Uh, my, uh, my streaming defenses and DS, uh, yeah, streaming defenses and weekly starts and sits that's at, at four for four. And I think the, uh, one of the, one of those series is free. I don't remember which one, some of the, some of them are paywalled, but then, Closing out the week with my stuff for PFF, where I do the uh, top five wide, wide receiver cornerback matchup column and, uh, and the DFS cheat sheet. The DFS cheat sheet is one of the highlights of my week because it lets me dig in and go for the strangest damn GPP calls. We had Darius Slayton a few weeks ago against Houston. 
called Jeff Wilson winning the job in Miami last week. We were on Isaiah Hodgins. That there was that was probably my favorite call this this uh, this season. Um, but then on Fridays, I queue up Jax's show, and that is that is my unplug at the end of my Friday. It is time for the undrafted. I wash dishes. I do whatever chores that I have to do around the house. And I, that is, that is, that is my escape. What you do for the industry is important. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you letting me come on the show. I appreciate all the listeners. Everybody here is great. It's a good space. It's a good industry. Thank you. Yeah, you're great. Um, like I said, you're a connector of people. You, um, you know, I, I, I really admire what you're doing because you're putting in the work. We talked a little bit off air and you know how I feel about you and what you're doing out there. So thank you for coming on the show. I'm delighted to have you on the show. I'm honored to have you on the show. And on behalf of everybody here at The Undrafted, on behalf of everybody here at The Undroppables, on behalf of not leading the Atlantic Division in the NBA, Philadelphia 76ers fan, Mr. Michael P. Duncan the greatest podcast producer in the land who is not going to win the NBA title this year. On behalf of Nick Botiford, I am Jax Falcone, and we are...